Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, and there's Jerry over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know over here. And uh, I guess I probably sound a little too chipper for what we're about to talk about because it is grim stuff. <laughs> it is. And I, my friend, have a fact that you probably know. But I don't know if everyone else knows that the word electrocute is a portmanteau that was coined during the War of Currents. You did. I'm so happy with you. This is my fact, too. I was like, Chuck's going to love this. I appreciate you assuming that I already knew it. Well, I assume you know everything. Let him have it, Chuck. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's uh, uh, it comes from the words electric and execution. And when I saw that, I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> like, surely the word electrocute was around before then, but there was no before then. Because there was no, like, you know, mass use of electricity. And uh, I don't know who exactly coined it. I couldn't find that, but it was during the War of Currents. Yeah, I saw it in, like, a paper from 1908. That said that. And they said, he just said it so matter-of-factly. I was like, what? That doesn't, oh, wow, that is right. Electrocute, electro-execution. It's like um, the sex-executioner. It's like sex and the executioner, the sex-executioner. <laughs> yeah, and that's also uh, a word that I guess gets misused because a lot of people say you know, someone's electrocuted if they just experienced a profound shock. But that's not the case. That's why it was confusing, I think, at first for us. We're like, wait, that's not makes it's not sensible. I also saw one other. Electrothanasia. Okay. I know it's not nearly as good as electrocute, <laughs> but I, I wanted to toss it out too. Uh, and this episode has what I believe may be the best stuff you should know band name of all time. I know what that one is too. Uh, so we'll just hang on to that. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, there's Chuck's band name. Yep. So we're talking uh, electrocution. And now that you know electrocution, what the word means, you know we're specifically talking about being put to death on purpose through electricity. And as far as we know, the only way that anyone's ever been put to, to, put to death using electricity is in an electric chair, which is a specifically American invention. Did you know that before you researched this? I did. And um, we should point out that the Philippines did use this for a while, but it was because mm -hmm. we basically were like, you guys should totally use the electric chair. Here, have one. Right. Back in, I think, like 1926. And they used it for 50 years until 1976. And then uh, they were like, this is really gross. We're going to stop using this. And stop uh, executing people altogether. Isn't that right? Oh, did they altogether? I just assumed they went to firing squad or something. Mm, I think, I don't know if it was in 76, but I think they got rid of the death penalty, okay. perhaps. How, how very civil. So, um, with the electric chair, um, we've, we've had, like I said, it was an American invention. And it's been around since, I guess, the 1880s is when it really started to kind of make a uh, make its debut but it's it's really kind of basic and simple for something as um, seemingly complicated as harnessing electricity to put in to extinguish a human life right it's a chair that you strap somebody to and run electricity through their body until they die it's really about that simple yeah they uh, I mean if you've ever seen a movie um, or God forbid if you've ever been to an execution, can't mm -hmm. imagine uh, doing something like that, but people do that. Uh, and by the way, you know, uh, <laughs> if, if I say things like that, I'm just speaking for myself, everyone. Well, we did like a whole lethal injection episode, and you came out pretty strongly against the death penalty, if I remember correctly. So, so it's already out there. Yeah, I just, uh, if I seem uh, like I'm turned off by a lot of this, it's because I am, but there are... <laughs> A lot of people in this country that when they hear about, like, flame shooting out of someone's head and blood count coming out of someone's eyeballs and the smell of cooked flesh, they're like, mm -hmm. heck yeah, like, zap them again. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have killed those people. You're getting what you deserve. So there are a lot of people out there that feel that way, and uh, I'm just not one of them. Yeah, I was reading about the execution of Ted Bundy. He was electrocuted in Florida, I'm pretty sure. 
And there were, yeah, it was Florida. There were people partying outside yeah. of the prison where he was put to death. I remember um, that. Holding like a barbecue. What what year was it? It was like 1990 maybe or 89? I, I feel like I was in college, but I remember seeing that on the news. And that was just like a, it, was, it seemed like a tailgate was going on. Yeah, that's what it seemed like from what I read. And, and there was apparently zero... Bundy supporters. It was all people who were there for to cheer on his death. Yeah. Um, so there are definitely people who feel that way out there for sure. Uh, so, yeah, getting back to what you're saying, though, it is it is very rudimentary. There was a metal cap uh, that is the electrode, and mm-hmm. that is put onto a prisoner's uh, shaved head. Um, there is a natural sponge with uh, saline, salt water, uh, in that sponge. And um, salt water is conductive, and that's the reason they use that. But there have been a lot of problems with um, the wrong sponges, too much salt, too little salt, too much water, too little water. Uh, But that's generally how it works. That goes in between uh, the cap, uh, that metal cap, and the the person's head. And then there's another electrode um, that's usually on the leg of the prisoner, but sometimes it's on like the foot or the base of the spine or something. And this all just allows electricity to flow freely through a person's body until they die. Right, right. Because the the electrode that goes in through the head, that's where the electricity comes from. And then the other electrode that's connected to the ground, like through the leg, allows the current to pass through the body all the way, right? Yes. Um, and that's, you know, from that free flow of electricity, that's where you get these tremendously horrific results, ultimately culminating in the death of the person. And then, Chuck, you said that they put a sponge on people's heads. It has to be a natural sponge. Did you say that? I did. So it, apparently they found, as, as we'll see, that only a natural sponge will work. Uh, but one of the other purposes it serves, besides acting as like kind of a reservoir for the saltwater conductor, um, it also it fills the space between the metal cap and the 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 um, victim's head because you're like the metal caps is like this little metal cap and your head's not a perfect cap shaped dome, so the the sponge is meant to also kind of fill that space and like get the electricity everywhere going through your head. Yeah, and as far as the chair, the actual wooden chair, um, I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been some upright thing like Hannibal Lecter was strapped to, uh, like a upright gurney. Uh, but they, they settled on a chair. Um, it's generally this big, heavy oak chair. And many times, um, irony of all ironies, that chair is built by prison labor. Mm-hmm. I saw that too. And it's almost invariably called Old Sparky. But there are also some that were called like Old Smoky. And then the worst of all, I think, was Louisiana's called Gruesome Gertie, which is a terrible name for a chair. Yeah, actually, it's a perfect name for a uh, an electric chair. Actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, but the I don't know the the sort of I guess tradition of naming uh, electric chairs these cute names is uh, also something that's a bit of a turnoff. Yeah, just a tad, <laughs> a tad bit. <laughs> so you're strapped into this chair. Uh, obviously, your arms are strapped in. Um, your legs are strapped in. Most of the times, you have a strap across your chest and groin area. And uh, again, the chair is just uh, has nothing to do. It doesn't have electricity um, running through it at all. Uh, That is just the means to keep the prisoner strapped in. Right, right. Because when that switch is thrown, uh, your muscles just contract to the point where you can just snap bones. Joints get um, just thrown out of joint, literally. Um, It's a huge muscle muscular contraction throughout your entire body because that's how. Your, that's how your muscles contract is through electricity, an electrochemical reaction, right? So when you introduce a huge amount of electricity to your body, all at once, all the muscles in your body contract. Um, and it, it's so much so that if you're not strapped in, you would just fly right out of the chair. I, I think in it must have been our electricity episode. We talked about how when people who have touched uh, an electrical wire, their um, muscles have contracted so so. Um, strongly that they've thrown themselves across the room. Like you're not blown across the room by the electricity. That's your muscles contracting and shooting you across the room. It, that's why the, they have people strapped to the chair in the electric chair to keep them from shooting across the room when the electricity shoots through them. Yeah, and depending on what state you're in, you know, they're all going to have their own 
uh, protocol for how to carry out an elect, uh, electrocution. And mm-hmm. um, we should also point out, too, that this is – they are generally not used anymore. Um, there are only nine states that <clears throat> still have that option, um, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi, South Carolina, <laughs> Tennessee, Virginia. Are you noticing a trend? I um, see a pattern. And then finally Oklahoma, uh, not the only state, not in the South. Um, but but it's not something that is generally still used in the United States. No, but it is a backup. And the, it's not a, a backup, I think, if like lethal injection doesn't work. It's a backup if the prisoner specifically says, I don't want lethal injection. I want the electric chair. Right. So depending on where you are, the protocol is going to vary. Um, this one is pulled from Tennessee. That was... Uh, an execution last year that uh, Edmund Zagorski, I guess, asked for the chair uh, because it was mm-hmm. 2018. And this was the protocol. Uh, the electric chair will release 1,750 volts of electricity for 20 seconds, will stop for 15 seconds, and then will release another 1,750 volts uh, for another 15 seconds. Um, after the first wave of electricity, officials will wait five minutes and then close the blinds into the witness room. A doctor will check for signs of life. If there are none, the doctor will pronounce him dead. If he is still alive, the blinds will be raised. Another round, uh, I, I assume, like an encore. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the curtain goes back up, and another round of electricity will be administered, and the doctor will be called in again. Right. How about that? That that encore thing kind of got me shook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't know. The parallels are obvious. So the, uh, yeah, yeah, but I think also in the lethal injection, when we explain like the ex, like the state witnesses, people who are hired to come and witness on behalf of the people, because the state is executing people on behalf of the people of that state. Mm-hmm. And these are the representatives of everybody else who lives in that state. I mean, yes, of course, there's no way you wouldn't get weirdos. But if I remember correctly, they try to weed those people out. But yeah, I, yes, I get where you're coming from. I'm not trying to like shoot your opinions down or anything like that. Sure. But, uh, yeah. So um, one of the things, like you said, there's like 1,700 volts. I've seen that's low. Like I've seen 2,000 at least is what you want. And then the amps are really the big one because a voltage is kind of like the water pressure in a hose where the amps are like the actual flow rate of how much is coming through. So the amps are what kill you, they say. But you have to balance the amps in that you want to you want to introduce enough amps through voltage into the inmate to kill them quickly and painlessly because i don't think we've said the reason the uh, the electric chair was brought around was is not to just just set somebody on fire as you were executing them it was to because it was thought to be like a painless and humane way to to execute a prisoner that's supposedly the point of executions so you want to balance a quick and painless death through enough amps and voltage introduced with not so many amps and, and not a high enough amount of voltage that you cook the person and set them on fire that's basically the tightrope that a state executioner who electrocutes somebody is walking in figuring out how much to to how much juice to deliver for the electric chair. Yeah, and um, the, I, I tried to find if you know I'd always heard that there were dummy switches, and that like three guards will all flip a switch at the same time, so no one knows if they were the one. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was just I, I didn't see any support for that, and that may just be built on the old thing of the firing squad where Mm -hmm. someone has blanks um, and, you know, so like one person, everyone basically can say, well, I may have had the blank. I may not have actually had the bullet in my gun. Right. Uh, But that is apparently not the case with electric chairs. And uh, a volunteer throws one switch. Um, The, you know, it's generally a prison guard has has said, this is something that I will do. I'm volunteering for this. Uh, You can't apparently force someone to do this. Um, it's always a volunteer. Right. And depending on the state, too, they might not actually work at the prison. They might That might just be their job as an executioner, maybe a second job they have or something like that. Um, and from what I've seen, they're typically called electricians. The um, electro-executioner uh, is called an electrician. And New York had some very famous and prolific ones kind of at the heyday of the electric chair in like the, the first half of the 20th century. Oh, yeah? Yeah, one of them killed, 
Are you ready for this? This is one of the most gruesome things I've ever heard in my life. One of them killed seven men in secession in one day. Wow. And they had all seven men in Sing Sing on death row, like in the, in the death house at the same time. And so as one would be taken away, the other 11 would just be sitting there like freaking out. Like, And then the next one would come and it just kept whittling down. And as they went through this day of executions, um, the, like the, 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 the sense among the inmates, they were like almost losing their minds. It's one of the cruelest things I've ever heard in my life, at least in the modern era, you know? Yeah. There's no way to, to um, execute prisoners. And I, I believe they've really gotten away from that. You don't execute more than one person in a day at the same place. I think it's really kind of like your time to shine. It's your special day. You're not going to share it with 11 other or eight, six other people anymore. Um, but the executioner, the electrician for New York who did that, I can't remember his name right now, but he actually ended up taking his own life because apparently he was doing this to pay the medical bills for his wife who uh, was chronically ill. Ugh. And this paid really, really well. Jeez. And eventually she died and he abruptly quit and then went and took his took his life. Wow. Yeah. Holy so cow. it's not like it's not like if you're an electrician or you're an executioner, I, w- I don't think it's kind of like a this is a fun thing. Like I think I think this kind of destroys everybody involved, basically. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned that uh it was supposedly the the humane way of killing people and We'll, we'll get to how that happened in a minute. But um, the two uh, gentlemen, Jean-Louis Prevost and uh, Frederic Battelli, they, by the way, we got an email about someone who was not happy with my Italian. Did you see yes, that? Yes, <laughs> but we got, we got a couple from people who were Italian-American saying, like, I love it. Don't ever stop. Yeah, the one guy who said I went too far was also very upset about my characterization of New Englanders as uh, liking Dunkin' Donuts as well. Wow. So I sort of took that one with a grain of salt. <laughs> that's a that's a big fat, that's a salt lick, I think. Yeah. Donut jokes. Come on. <laughs> um, Stop bragging on Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so uh, anyway, those two gentlemen, uh, they did a lot of research into heart defibrillation in the 1890s. And the idea at that time was, um, hey, what's going on here when you electrocute someone is – is it instantly sort of kills the prisoner by uh, massive brain damage and a stoppage interruption of the heart. And so that's why they thought it was more humane than like hanging, which we'll get to in a sec. But mm-hmm. um, that is not the case, as we will see from the scores of botched um, electrocutions over the years. Right. That's why if you if you read like these procedures for executing a prisoner using electricity, there is two rounds of juice invariably. And the first one supposedly destroys the brain. But the second one, remember how I said all the uh, muscles in the body like contract? Well, one of the biggest muscles in the body is your heart. And um, your heart contracts, which ironically protects it from dying. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah, so that's why they'll stop with the uh, electricity, the electrical flow for uh, several seconds to let the heart, like, come out of seizure again. And then when they do it a second time, allegedly that is the one that's meant to destroy the heart. So initially the first one is supposed to destroy the um, conscious mind and then ultimately the brain. And it supposedly happens very fast. The number you'll see bandied about is that it happens in one two hundred and fortieth of a second which is faster than you can consciously register pain. So you are, you're dead. You're at least unconscious, and then you're, you're dead right after that before you can feel pain. But the person I think I've seen associated with that is a guy named Fred Luchter, who's actually like a um, well-known um, engineer of Tennessee's electric chair, and I believe a Holocaust denier too. And I didn't see anywhere else like any legitimate study that showed that. So, but it's like somebody said it and everybody's just going to go with that. But supposedly that's what the first juice does is knock you out and kill you brain-wise, you're brain dead, and then the second one kills your your cardiac system. Yeah, it was, uh, Errol Morris did a documentary about him actually. Um, about Fred Luchter? Luchter? Yeah, it was called Mr. Death. 
And mm -hmm. um, part of it was on, you know, his work with the electric chair. And then part of it was on, you're right, the fact that he is a uh, notorious Holocaust denier. Um, right. And guess what he does now? I have no idea. He apparently is a uh, works in the garden department of a Home Depot. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, in his old age. Wow. Well, he he he. I'm correct that he built Tennessee's electric chair. He wasn't an actual electrician, right, or an executioner. No, no, no. He. Uh, it's, it's a really good documentary, of course, because it's Errol Morris. But um, sure. Yeah, you should check it out. Cool. You want to take a break? Uh, yeah, we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about a very famous Supreme Court case and then a, a lots about hanging right after this. Okay, Chuck, so we're back. And you wanted to talk about the Supreme Court, you said? What about? <laughs> <laughs> I love it when you're coy. Uh, yeah, 1985, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, chose not to review a case, uh, Glass v. Louisiana, um, which would have been a very big deal because it was on the constitutionality of the electric chair. The whole – that whole thing about cruel and unusual punishment right. um, has always been a – a talking point when it comes to whether or not people should be put to death and just how to do that. And they chose, like I said, they chose not to review it, but very famously, uh, Justice William Brennan wrote uh, a dissent uh, that described an execution like this. And by the way, this this part is particularly gruesome. So if you, if you don't want to hear about this, then just tune out for like 20 seconds. Uh, when the switch is thrown, the condemned prisoner cringes, leaps, and fights the straps with amazing strength. The hands turn red, then white, and the cords of the neck stand out like steel bands. The prisoner's limbs, fingers, toes, and face are severely contorted. The force of the electrical current is so powerful that the prisoner's eyeballs sometimes pop out and rest on his cheeks. Uh, the prisoner mm. often defecates, urinates, and vomits blood and drool. Sometimes the prisoner catches on fire, particularly if he perspires excessively, and witnesses hear a loud and sustained sound like bacon frying, and the sickly sweet smell of burning flesh permeates the chamber. And, and dude, we should point out, like, Brennan wasn't saying, you know, in the worst-case scenario, this is what happens. That's a pretty standard—that's standard for an electric uh, chair execution. And then there's, like, uh, there was one other thing, too, that I saw still in the gruesome zone, everybody. Um, you said that the—well, uh, Brennan said that they, the person gurgles often— um, They'll also sigh, and apparently it freaks out witnesses because they're like, he's still alive. And what happens, again, the, when the muscles contract, um, whatever air is in the lungs gets trapped in there because your epiglottis shuts tight. Just oh. It's not opening again. So then when the uh, electricity is turned off and your muscles relax, that air is expelled out, and it sounds like you're sighing or you're gurgling if there's, you know, fluid in there. Um, and it's just another terrible facet of this, of this, this kind of execution. Yeah. So we promised talk of hanging, and that's really how the electric chair came about. Um, in Europe, they had uh, long used the guillotine. Uh, but here in the United States, kind of from the beginning, um, I guess there were firing squads, but hanging was really the um, quote-unquote humane way of executing prisoners for a long time. Um, with the idea that um, if it's in the case of a gallows, that door would drop, you would drop, and your neck would snap, basically, and you would die very, very quickly. But that was not always the case. Um, there was a man named Con uh, Tom Ketchum in 1901 in the New, Mexi uh, New Mexico Territory. His head was completely torn off of his body. Yep. That's just one. There were plenty of them that actually happened to a woman named Eva Duggan, had that happened to her in Arizona in 1930 as well. And it's not like, it's it's not, that's not the only possible outcome from a botched hanging. Like, they can go the other way as well, where you're not, like your neck doesn't snap or your head doesn't pop off and you're just slowly suffocating. There was the case of one guy, I think his name was William Williams, um, who was just born to lose apparently. 
um, he, he he dropped and uh, didn't it didn't strangle it didn't um, break his neck it didn't do anything and the prison officials had to like basically strangulate him with the with the rope to kill him and so all this stuff and there's plenty of them there all this stuff was making the news at the time and it, it was kind of converging with a public sentiment against the death penalty in general so if the public's kind of like I'm not quite sure we should be killing people. I don't I don't feel very good about this and the news of like botched hangings are coming out something's going to change and there are basically two things that can happen at a point in history like this either the society can say you know what execution in general is just bad bad news and let's just not do that anymore or maybe we do need execution but we need to find a better way to do it in pronto because this is not okay any longer yeah, there was uh, there was another kind of hanging. Um, you always think of the gallows and that trap door, but there's something called a suspension hanging, where um, the person is on the ground with a rope around their neck, and mm-hmm. weights are dropped over a pulley, and then you are jerked up instead of being dropped, and that supposedly will snap your neck. And that was the case with the, the execution of uh, Roxalana Drews in 1887. Um, she was small, and so when that um, when that rope was jerked up, her neck was not snapped, and she slowly was strangled to death for about 20 minutes. And um, she had killed her husband, and that was a case that was uh, controversial for a lot of reasons. Um, it was very much a pre-planned killing, but uh, she claimed that she had been abused. She had her children involved in the killing, um, it, it's it was a, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, she sent her ten year old out, uh, and then had her teenage kids help out. So one of the kids tied a rope around her dad's neck. Um, the 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 woman, the mother, Roxana, uh, Roxalana, shot him, um, but I think didn't use the the gun properly, so it didn't kill him. Gave the gun to her fourteen year old nephew. He shot him a few more times. The husband's laying there, unable to move, pleading for help, and then she comes barreling in with an axe and cuts his head off. Jeez. Yeah, so uh, she takes the head and the body to the parlor. Uh, They stayed there for about a day. Then she cut the body up, burnt it, and got rid of the ashes, and then was was found out. So, um, but the upshot of all this was when she was executed, she didn't die quickly and humanely. Um, she died very slowly and painfully and, very important, publicly at a time when the public, in particular in New York, was like, we're better than this. And so um, not, not strictly from her, um, her botched execution, but definitely in part because of it, New York said, we need to find a better way to do this. Um, how, can we, how can we execute somebody better? And they said, um, prominent lawyer, Elbridge, Thomas, Jerry, go. And so Jerry formed. Well, he's like, well, you guys picked me first, so we're going to call the commission the Jerry Commission. Yeah. And um, he assembled two other guys, including a man named uh, Alfred P. Southwick, who was a dentist who was interested in this kind of stuff. <laughs> he was like, you know what? Being a dentist isn't scratching that uh, sadistic itch. <laughs> right. He was basically like the founder of Ohio art, you know? Yeah, exactly. So he's, so the three of them get together and they spend two years figuring out, like looking at different ways of execution. And they looked at all of them and they released this, um, this journal report, like a, a, f- a formal government, New York State government report that details and chronicles all the different ways that you could officially kill somebody from precipitation, which is pushing them off a cliff to um, boiling them alive, whether you want it to be, you know, molten lead or water, doesn't really matter at that point, um, to crushing from heavy stones. And they looked at 34 different methods of execution in detail, and they concluded that none of them were an improvement on hanging. That, yeah, some of them would definitely, like, provide the public spectacle that would probably deter other people or make them think twice about killing somebody. But... um, 
definitely no more humane, as inhumane as hanging could be, especially a botched hanging. So they said, okay, well, we're back to square one. But one of us, Alfred P. Southwick, thinks he knows of a method that we haven't hit upon yet, and it was electricity. No, he had seen a, a, a Marx Brothers movie, and he said, maybe we should just drop a safe on someone's head as they walk down the sidewalk. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like, yeah, it could kind of work, but if you miss, you just really maim them terribly. Uh, yeah, so he came upon electrocution as a as what he felt was like the best way because electricity was um, – this is where we get into like kind of things aligning and mm-hmm. carbon arc lining uh, becoming widespread in cities and people having um, streetlights and electricity in their houses was – and in big cities was sort of a new thing. But it was super dangerous and there were a lot of cases of uh, people getting electrocuted. Um, there was a drunk in Buffalo, a drunk man – who grabbed hold of a generator um, just to sort of see what it felt like, died instantly, and that's when Southwick was like, wait a minute, I think we're onto something here. If it can kill people just instantly, then that's kind of what we're after. Right. So the thing is, is like that whole instantly thing, that's a little subjective. Um, yeah, it happened once because, to this guy. <laughs> right, yeah, it happened one time, and then also, like, this is what an eyewitness standing, you know, a little ways away says it happened he died instantly well are you fudging a little bit because instantly or not really kind of counts when you're looking for a new method of execution for a state to use over and over and over again and to spread throughout all 50 states basically um it's really important that it's instant and they were like yeah yeah it's instant let's just look into this one because it's got to be better than hanging so they uh they did and when they found out that um that when it became public and announced that they were um kind of forming a subset to the Jerry Commission called Chuck? The Electric Death Commission. Best band name of all time. Yeah, we have arrived at the band name, everybody. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot on this even. I, I looked into this a little more, and it's not it's not all over the Internet, surprisingly. No, it's not. But, it, uh, like, I've seen it in some reputable sources, so it's not like it's just totally made up or a myth or a legend or something like that. Yeah. I think it, I think it was It was basically they said, okay, the Jerry Commission is has done its job. We're going to set our, ourselves uh, up in this own commission, the Electric Death Commission, to basically show that electrocution is a good and humane way to, elect, to uh, take a life, right, uh, yeah. for the state. So, um Alfred Southwick fell in with a guy named George Fell, appropriately enough. <laughs> George Fell was a, uh, a surgeon. He was a tinkerer, an engineer, and um, he became extremely interested in the applications of electricity to cause death as well. And so Southwick and Fell basically got together and formed this, like, weirdo cabal to figure out how to create an electric chair. Yeah, this part I don't quite get because I know— that and it, I can hardly even say this sentence out loud, but I know that they practiced on stray dogs, like mm-hmm. hun- they electrocuted hundreds of dogs. But it says here they were supplied by the Buffalo ASPCA, not knowingly, right? Yes, I saw somewhere, Chuck, that for at this time, thanks to these guys, that became the method of euthanasia that the local animal shelters used on stray animals. Really? Yeah. So uh, I, I guess they started testing on him, and it became, like, so um, so useful, I guess, that the ASPCA said, hey, bring your equipment on over here. And they started using it to execute straights. That's what I saw. Wow. I'm sure they're not proud of that part of their history of protecting animals from cruelty. I'm sure that they are not, actually. They're like, please, please stop. Just keep moving on. Keep going. Talk about Thomas Edison. Wow. So at the end of this uh, and all these dogs, they uh, they basically came to that conclusion that we talked about earlier was that electricity will instantly disrupt the heartbeat and the rhythm uh, and death will be instant and painless. Mm-hmm. And uh, New York passed a state law saying basically in 1888 that this is the way forward for us. Yeah. And again, this is like this is long after the time when uh, the uh, two guys, um, Provost and Batelli, had shown this is like the early 1800s, I think, that you could actually use electricity to restart somebody's heart. 
And then also now we know that actually electricity doesn't instantly kill you by causing a heart attack. It does the opposite. The heart becomes uh, like goes into safe mode to protect itself. And um, you have to hit it again to make it spasm and go into fibrillation. Because that's what fibrillation is. It's like an in um, uh, 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 non-rhythmic heartbeat to where you can't actually pump any blood out. That's a heart attack, right? Or that's yeah. fibrillation. That's cardiac arrest. That's not what happens when you get uh, hit with the first jolt of electricity. So I don't know if Fell and Southwick were just making this up or if it just happened that it did kill dogs like that or what. Uh, maybe they were using a massive amount or maybe they were using just the right level of amps. I don't know. But um, they definitely demonstrated that this was, this was something that could be done. But it wasn't just them. Simultaneous to Southwick and Fell, who from everything I could tell were, aside from the fact that they killed a lot of dogs with electricity, were legitimate um, scientists who were doing this to find a humane alternative to hanging. There was another guy who was the opposite of legitimate, wasn't a scientist, and was a fairly shady character named Harold Brown. Yeah, so... Uh, off to the side, you know, Fell and Southwick built the first actual chair. Uh, mm -hmm. So just park that there for a moment. And then we have to just talk. Just pop a squat. Take a seat. <laughs> and then, uh, no, don't sit there. <laughs> sit in the other chair. Um, <laughs> so we have to talk about the War of Currents, which we've talked about on this. Uh, I think we did a whole podcast on this, right? Yeah, we did, like, did, did Nikola Tesla change the way we use electricity? Answer, yes. Yeah, so we don't need to go over all that again, but um, just very quickly, uh, the War of Currents, there was a big war between uh, whether or not we were going to move forward as a nation with AC power or DC power. Uh, Thomas Edison um, wanted that DC power. That was He had invested heavily in that, so he was trying to make that one out. Uh, and then George Westinghouse, of course, on the other side, was working, uh, had invested in AC power. And Brown, who you mentioned, he actually worked for Edison. Is that right? Yes, but supposedly unbeknownst, he even testified under oath that he did not work for Edison when he very well, very much did and had for years by that time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He was a shade ball. And I, the one thing that I can't figure out, Chuck, is whether he was truly a... Um, crusader against Westinghouse and AC power, like he genuinely thought it was dangerous, and then he fell in with Edison, or if he was an Edison operative from the outset. That's what I've not been able to establish. But he was definitely working for Edison secretly. Interesting. So the Electric Death Commission uh, gets in touch with Edison, and then uh, the Grabster put this together for us, and I thought this was a very kind of great comparison he said, you know, what happened next is sort of like if the government said to Pepsi, hey, you guys are experts on soda. Um, how would how should we kill someone with a soda? And Pepsi was like, here, we'll do lots of experiments that will prove to you that Coca-Cola will kill somebody very easily. And that's right. basically what happened is, is Harold Brown working with Edison did all these gruesome uh, uh, public uh, electrocutions to show how dangerous AC current was, so they would adopt it for the electric chair, which would in turn, in his mind, give AC current a bad name. Right. I mean, that's as underhanded as it gets. Like, if you are in competition in business, that's like Uber calling fake lift rides um, when they started out. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. But this is way, way worse. But it's still in the same wheelhouse. But... <laughs> But that's what that's what Edison was doing. He was like, oh, yeah, totally. This is a great. Apparently, he declined first to participate, have anything to do with this electric death commission. And then he was like, oh, wait, yes, actually, I have a great idea. I would like to be involved. I really su I suggest that AC current be used. And he used Harold Brown to, to just basically carry out this whole thing, so much so that Harold Brown managed to convince the electric death commission that not only should AC current be used for the first electrocution in the state of New York, a Westinghouse generator should be used to generate that electrical current. And he tried to buy some generators from Westinghouse, and they're like, uh, no, no, you can't. We know what you're going to do with those. So he ended up buying secondhand ones. And that kind of sets the stage for the first execution, which, if you ask me, is a really good point to take our second break. Agreed.
So, Chuck, uh, we're in Auburn State Prison. It's August of 1890, and there's a guy named uh, William Kemmler who is convicted of murdering his common-law wife, Tilly, with an axe. And uh, when he was caught, he apparently had done it in a drunken rage, and I, I don't know if he felt remorse or guilt or was just bored with the whole thing, but he had a quote where he said something like, um, uh, yes, I, I struck her with a hatchet. I intended to kill her. Um, the sooner I am hung and it's over with, the better. Hanged. Hanged. <laughs> yeah, I always get that wrong, don't I? Yeah. So the uh, the sooner I'm hanged uh, and it's over with, the better. And uh, I guess he was not afraid of the noose, but when he found out that they were going to use electrocution and that he would be the first ever human being to be executed by the state with electric electricity, he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about again? And started to file lawsuits. So he actually also became the first person to challenge the constitutionality of a, the electric chair as a means of execution. Yeah, that's kind of a crazy fact, I think. The very first person to go to the electric chair was the first person to be like, I don't think this is right. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but the Supreme Court said, no, no. Uh, they ruled against Kimmler and mm-hmm. said it, it does not violate the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. Um, and he went, what about the excessive bail? And they went, <laughs> I thought you were talking about cruel and unusual punishment. And he went, I was just Whatever kidding. you want to hear. Yeah. Uh, so his execution, uh, the very first one was by all accounts, uh, botched um, pretty severely in and of itself. Yeah, so you remember how, um, uh, what was his name, Harold Brown managed to get Westinghouse generators used for that first execution, but he had to buy secondhand ones? Yeah. The first jolt of electricity that was sent through William Kemmler to kill him only lasted for 17 seconds because one of the belts started to fall off the generator. So they had to stop before it had killed him. And by all accounts, he was sitting there struggling with life left in him. And the New York Times reported that, quote, strong men fainted and fell like logs on the floor at the site. Yeah. It was a, a, a terrible thing to see. And also, if you look at the drawings of the, um, of the execution that were used in the newspapers of the day, he's just sitting there in a chair surrounded by people like Harold Brown and George Fell and Alfred Southwick. And then the witnesses are all just milling around, like standing around watching him, like they're watching some guy like in a drinking contest or something. And that's how he was executed. So I would imagine like, you know, it's, it'd be bad enough to, to be a witness to an execution today where it's real sterile and the, it's really um, clinical and there's a glass, glass, thick glass window between you and the curtain comes down to standing in the same room with somebody who's being electrocuted. Uh, just a few feet away, that's got to be, that's got to make it even worse, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, c- clearly not a more humane way after this first execution, but they press forward because, um, and I think Ed points out very astutely that there was <laughs> something about the uh, the fact that it was a use of technology that wasn't tie a rope around someone's neck or just put a bullet in their head that uh, it seemed less offensive to the public at large, I think, um, because it's not the kind of thing like they didn't – if you're not a witness to it and you just read about something in the paper, it may seem like there is a, um, an acceptable moral distance because of this technology. Right, right, right. So, like, hang, when hanging came, when hanging was under fire for, you know, not being humane, new technology that kind of put more distance between you that just seemed more advanced. And because it was more advanced in this kind of technocratic way of thinking, it was more humane. It was more high tech. So it must just be better. That was kind of how the electric chair came to replace hanging. But even though that first one was simply botched, the idea of it just made it, it made, it allowed it to spread. And from like all, not all the accounts, but most of the accounts that I saw um, of that first execution were just like, this was terrible. This is gruesome. Yeah. This will probably never happen again. And then other states were like, oh, you, you cook them with electricity, huh? Like, I like that idea. Let me try that too. And it spread fairly quickly and became far and away the dominant method of execution in the United States in the 20th century. Yeah, uh, and there have been many, many, and, you know, uh, at the end we'll talk about some some more botched uh, executions, but um, I don't think there are any more um, legendary than Willie Francis in 1946 
Mm-hmm. Um, he was executed in Louisiana for a murder that, uh, to call his trial um, questionable and suspect is like an understatement. Um, it seems like this guy was just totally railroaded. Um, and you mentioned Gruesome Gertie earlier. That was the name of the electric chair in Louisiana. In this case, for his execution, it was set up by a uh, drunk prison guard um, who apparently didn't set it up correctly. It was total human error. So he goes down in history as, uh, to my knowledge, the only person who has ever been executed uh, technically twice or because he survived his botched execution such that he lived completely through it. They couldn't use the chair uh, anymore. And he actually lived to fight to say, hey, you can't do this again because that is totally, that is the definition of cruel and unusual. You tried to kill me once and it didn't work. And I'm here in court again. And the U.S. Supreme Court said, uh, no, sorry, you're going to have to go to the chair again. Isn't that the, the craziest thing you've ever heard? Crazy. So, so the guy, this wasn't like the guy survived and they're like, quick, quick, throw the switch again. He's still alive. We need to, we need to, you know, finish the job or whatever you want to call it. This was uh, the electric chairs broke after going through a full execution. The guy's still alive and lives for another year before they're like, all right, we fixed the electric chair. It's time for you to die again. Yeah. And they did it twice. And that second time, that was that. But he, um, I, that's that is that's the definition of cruel and unusual. I agree with you entirely. Yeah, uh, and the interesting thing though is, if you look, there were statistics put together uh, about four or five years ago that shows that the electric chair, and you know, like you said, we did one on lethal injection. Um, mm-hmm. That starting in the late seventies kind of became um, one of the more preferred uh, choices for most states. But uh, as far as what you would consider botch percentage. Um, the electric chair kind of leads the way, except for the firing squad. Um, only 1.92 electrocutions are um, categorized as botched, compared to 7.12% for lethal injection. Yeah, so, which is, that's a pretty pretty good track record, comparatively speaking, I guess. But then there's a really big point here, too. It's like, um, in a botched lethal injection at least from the perspective of the witnesses, that's vastly preferred sure. to a botched electrocution where the person catches fire or something like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. But here's the problem with all of these, with comparing, like, botchedness and what's preferred and, oh, that one's much more, that's a much more tasteful botched execution than this one. We, because the medical profession has said, we're, we don't have anything to do with this. Like, yeah, a doctor can be present to pronounce the person dead, but the doctor is not going to insist, assist in any way, shape, or form and still keep the medical license. We, we cause no harm, so we can't assist in executions, Right. Our understanding of execution is coming. It's like anecdotal, like how to carry out an execution, what yeah. protocol you should use. Like it's it's done by the people who are doing this almost through trial and error or from people's data where they executed dogs a hundred something years ago. Um, and that was what was used to kill, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand plus humans in actually, yeah, probably more than a thousand oh, yeah. uh, hum- humans in the United States in the 20th century. Um, it, the thing is this, Chuck, so, so you can stop there pretty easily and just say like, so we, we don't know if it was ever humane. We don't know if it did cause instant death. People catch on fire or whatever. But you actually, we've never known whether it does cause instant death because when you, when you are autopsied after your execution, your brain is cooked, um, like uh, invariably. That is one of the byproducts of uh, an uh, electrocution. Your brain gets cooked basically through and through. It can be at like 120 degrees Fahrenheit at autopsy still, you know, um, dozens of minutes or an hour or so later when your brain is removed, it's still that hot, right? So we don't actually know if the electric chair isn't humane or isn't painless. We don't really know. Um, But then at the same time, an execution and whether it's tasteful or appears humane, it's, it's, yes, it's meant to be that way for the, the inmate, but it really is meant to be that way for society because it has to be palatable and tasteful for society or else society is going to be like, nope, we can't do that anymore like we did with hanging. 
And that is what happened, actually, with execution because of some botched executions in Florida in the 90s. Um, society said, like, we've got to find another way. I've heard about this lethal injection thing. Let's try that instead. Yeah, I mean, should we talk about some of these uh, awful stories? Yeah. So let me see here. Um, October 1985 in Indiana, um, electrocution of William Van Diver. The uh, first administration of 2,300 volts, he was still breathing. Uh, the execution took a total of five volts, I'm sorry, five jolts uh, in 17 minutes. Um, the smell of smoke, uh, of hair and flesh burning. The Department of Corrections uh, said this, quote, the execution did not go according to plan. Yeah, they like to be droll, it sounds like. How about uh, Horace Franklin Duncans Jr., 1989 in Alabama? Um, two jolts of electricity, nine minutes apart. Mm-hmm. Um, the first jolt failed to kill him, and the captain of the prison guard opened the door to the witness room and said, I think we've got the jacks on wrong. Uh, they reconnect the cables correctly, and death was pronounced 19 minutes after the first charge. But the first charge, it's not like it wasn't painful. It was probably more painful than the second one because the second one produced death. But um, it was not, it couldn't possibly produce the kind of voltage that would kill a person. It was just basically torture, like a little, a little torture starter, like they have at TGI Fridays. And then that was followed by the entree, which was death. Um, which is not supposed to happen. So, again, if you'll kind of harken back to um, the, all these news stories coming out, like, oh, this is not how we're supposed to be executing people. What's going on? This is starting to go on in the 80s and then early 90s uh, around the United States with, uh, with electrocution. Yeah, this one in Georgia, uh, 1984, Alpha Otis Stevens. Um, the first charge failed to kill him. He struggled to breathe for eight minutes, uh, and they carried out the second charge, uh, after the first two-minute power surge, there was a six-minute pause so his body could cool enough so physicians could examine him. And in that six-minute period, he took 23 breaths, which if you do the math, you know, and think about how intermittent those breaths are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the quote from the Georgia prison official was, Stevens was just not a conductor of electricity. But How about that? And then there were three, Chuck, there were three um, in Florida that really kind of galvanized public opinion against electrocutions. Joseph, uh, or Jesse Joseph Tafaro, Pedro Medina, and a guy named Alan Lee Davis. And Tafaro and Medina both caught on fire. Um, I think Tafaro's head had like six-inch flames shooting out from under the crown, um, under the electrode on his head. And um, Medina had like a foot flames and like so much that his whole, he was just charred. His head was charred during the execution. Again, we don't know that he actually suffered, but that's not what the public wants to see or read about when we're, when we leave it to the state to execute people humanely, that's not supposed to happen. And then Alan Lee Davis very famously had photographs taken of him uh, after his execution. Yeah. And his face seems to be very clearly contorted in, in uh, a look of pain. He was a very big man, like 350 pounds and a tremendous amount of blood loss. It looks like it came out of his mouth and maybe even his chest, but they later determined that it was, um, um, it came out of his nose, um, but there's just a lot of blood. And they also said, like, well, the guy was on blood thinners, so this it's pretty clear this happened, but it doesn't really mean anything. He got a nosebleed during the electrocution, and the public said, eh, we don't care. That's number three down in Florida alone. Go find something else. Let's try this lethal injection thing. Yeah. Um, I, did a, uh, I did a list, actually. I think Nebraska in 2008 was the last state to uh, stop using the electric chair as their primary source. Um, but I, I was curious, like, which state just has executed the most people, period, uh, by whatever means. And um, Texas leads the way. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, they have two stats, since 1930 and since 1976. Uh, but Texas uh, has executed 1,800, I'm sorry, 841 people since 1930. Uh, Georgia's number two, actually with 436. But since 1976, um, Georgia has executed 74 people to Texas's 563. Oh, my gosh. And since 76, uh, Virginia is actually second, and then Florida is third. Uh, Both have over 100. 
Would not have guessed Virginia. Florida, I, I probably would have guessed. Texas, I knew, but wow, that's a significant, that's a, that's a long gap between number one and two. Yeah, and Texas has always, you know, been criticized as uh, death penalty um, happy. I would say, I'd say that's a fair characterization, sadly. Prove us wrong, Texas. You can't do it. Yeah. Um, so so remember we said that everybody was like, no, no more electrocutions. Let's find something else. When they went to the lethal injection, yeah. which is supposedly more humane. I was reading this article by a law professor named Austin, Austin Surratt, who basically said, you know, those two, two prisoners in Tennessee in December of 2018 alone opted for the electric chair because they didn't have faith that um, lethal injection was going to be less painful or less prolonged. They wanted the electric chair instead. And that up to this point, every time we've changed um, what our method of execution is, it's been uh, uh, technologically speaking, socially speaking, a step forward in that in that kind of uh, area. And that going back to the electric chair is a huge step backwards. And to him, it represents a major crisis in the uh, legitimacy of the death penalty. And he was, I guess, kind of wondering without saying it, like, is this is this the beginning of the end for the death penalty in the United States again? Interesting. I thought so, too. But uh, that's electric chairs. You can buy one or you could. I think it's sold, one sold in 2012. Tennessee's old Sparky sold in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah, on an online auction for $25,000. Marilyn Manson? I don't know. I heard it was being put in a museum in Tennessee, so probably not. Gotcha. Um, but that's electric chairs, like I said, everybody. And if you want to know more about them, you can go look around the Internet. You can also just leave this behind forever. It'll kind of be nice to shed this one because it was some grim research. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and since I said sorry for putting us through this one, Chuck, this is a Josh pick, everybody. <laughs> since I, I mean, like halfway through re- researching today, I was like, God, man, I, I just feel just bad right now, you know? And then you had a panini and everything was okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a good panini for sure. <laughs> uh, well, since we said panini, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm curious if you're going to, if this is the one, Josh, but here we go. Hey, guys. I just recently uh, listened to the, uh, started listening to podcasts because uh, apparently I'm a Luddite. Uh, so I've been waiting my way through the old episodes. I listened to the one on saunas, uh, and I wanted to let you know there is a Holiday Inn just outside mm-hmm. of Toledo in, yes. P- in Perrysburg. Did you see this email? Yeah, I did. I responded, actually. Oh, okay. Well, I can't wait to hear what happened. Um, it's, it's called the Holiday Inn French Quarter, which used to be a holodome and to which it is possible to have, or was possible to have a pool membership. In addition to three pools and a large hot tub, the hotel has a large sauna. And I am positive that this is the Holiday Inn that Josh's dad took him to when he was a kid. Staple for over 50 years. Unfortunately, the hotel will be closing at the end of the month after losing its Holiday Inn flag to a new build. That is from Deanna Pollen. Yep. Is that the one? No, it's not. Oh. But I my family here my family used to go on staycations at that French Quarter holiday. <laughs> oh, really? It was like two towns over and oh. and it was like it was pretty awesome when you were a kid. I think she's kind of underselling it the three pools in the hot tub. Like the pools were meandering and went all over the place. There were wall, like bridges over them. So wow. you swam under bridges. They would go out so they were like indoor outdoor pools. It was pretty awesome. But my um pool membership and sauna membership was at the Holiday Inn near Southwick Mall. Oh, okay. Which that Holiday Inn is now a um, an assisted living tower, I believe. But for a little <laughs> while, in between being a Holiday Inn and being an assisted living tower, it was abandoned. And one of the coolest like photo sets you can look at are abandoned hotels. And somebody went to the trouble of getting photos inside this abandoned Holiday Inn. It's really cool, including the pool. So just look up, I think... Abandoned Holiday Inn, Toledo, Ohio, Southwick Mall, maybe? And I'll probably bring it up. Well, maybe you'll end up there one day and bring it full circle. Yeah, I was depressed that the French Quarter's going under, though. That was a great, great little place. I was talking to Yumi, too. I was like, oh, man, did I ever tell you about my family staying at the French Quarter? She's like, yes, you told me your family went on vacation two towns over at Holiday Inn. (laughs) I was like, yeah, it was great, though. I think the best one was the pool that was in the, uh, the highway median. What was that one? 
Oh, I just thought that was like the fourth pool. <laughs> right. The use at your own you, risk pool. It, it was disconnected. You had to run like heck to get to it. That's right. Uh, well, Chuck, you got anything else? No. Well, if you want to get in touch with us to let us know about some part of my childhood being shut down forever, we'd love hearing about that kind of stuff. You can uh, go to stuffyoushouldknow.com and look for our social links. And you can also send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 